Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. All right, it's close enough to seven. Welcome, everybody. I'd like to begin class by um, giving you something to talk to each other about in service of getting to know each other, such a central part of Buddhism is developing community. And it's hard to develop community in meditation groups where you meditate and then you leave and don't talk to each other. So I force you to talk to each other. And I also think it's a good application of mindful speech, one of the twice in the Eightfold Path, the the Buddha talks about being um, conscious and careful with our speech, wise speech, right speech, and also listening and kind of mindfulness in your body while you're talking to strangers and uh, present time awareness in in action. Tonight, I'm going to continue what I started last week and probably we'll do the next few weeks on this uh, text from uh, Theravadan Buddhist monastery that some of us from Against the Stream visited in Thailand in November. And it's the um, Satipatthana, the uh, four foundations, <clears throat> excuse me, four foundations of mindfulness. As they chant it, as they practice it in the monastery. And it's kind of what I'm always teaching here, mindfulness but with some specific um, teachings from the Pali Canon, from the original teachings of the Buddha that I don't always give. So we're kind of, you're going to sort of get some, some old school religion, some of the kind of direct from the Buddha's teachings uh, for us to practice with and discuss. And so uh, some of you will be very familiar with these traditional teachings and um, I'm not always that traditional, so I'm kind of these next few weeks giving you some of the traditional things here. So there's two sections I think that we're going to go through tonight, um, and one is the 32 parts of the body, and the other is the corpse and the reflection on death and decay uh, of, of our lives and of, of everyone's bodies and of reality. But we'll start with the 32 parts. And so the question for your small groups is, um, what's your favorite part of your body and why? <laughs> why is that your happy part? Why is that your favorite part of your body? And just, you know, for some people gonna be like, whoa, I don't like anything about my body. Um, I don't know, my ear, I, you know, like, what, what's your, and then what's the part of your body that you, um, I don't know, have the most difficulty with, uh, judgment of, or um, uh, maybe, maybe shame around, or uh, what is, you know, without me just saying, what's your relationship to your genitals like? I'm not, not, not going there. Just like, what is your, you know, when you are mindful in your body, what are the parts that you're like, oh, I don't really want to be mindful of my butthole. Or I really love being mindful of my butthole. It's my favorite part. Or, um, or I don't whatever it is for you, your uh, armpit or your toe cheese or some, some part of your body. And then we're going to go through the Buddha's instructions on investigating every part of the body with equal uh, 
non-judgmental, kind uh, awareness of, of every, every aspect of this physical form, the body. Um, make sense? What's your favorite part and why? And what's the not, not so favorite part of your body and why? What is it about your armpit or your knee or your nose that you despise? despise? Uh, what is it? Um, so that's the questions. I, you get that at home? I'm going to throw you guys in to the breakout groups. What's your favorite part and least favorite part of your own physical form, body? And um, find two or three people in the room that you don't know rather than your homies. Better to meet some new people. Just a little bit of review. Last week, we went through the first part of this text um, where the Buddha covered mindfulness of the breath, that core meditation practice of present time awareness of of the breath with direct instructions, like when you're being mindful of the breath, bring attention to the um, depth, whether it's deep or shallow, without trying to control it in any way, just letting your body breathe its own rhythm, but knowing, oh, I'm breathing in deep or I'm breathing in not so deep, shallow. Or, um, and then it went on uh, to talk about, be mindful of the posture, just in general, know that you're sitting. When you're sitting, being like, yep, this is what it feels like when I'm sitting and I'm here and I'm present in my body sitting, or when you're standing, or when you're walking, or when you're laying down. There's the four traditional formal meditation postures, sitting meditation, walking meditation, standing meditation, and reclining, laying down meditation as a formal training in mindfulness. And then it goes on to say, you know, now that you're practicing and training your mind to be present in these ways, bring it into every activity of your life. And it talks about when you're going to the bathroom, it talks about when you're eating, it talks about every activity of the body as an opportunity for present time awareness. And there's this really interesting refrain after every section in this uh, four foundations of mindfulness where um, there's all of these instructions and, and we're still just in the first foundation instructions on how to meditate in the body on the body with the body and then after each instruction the buddha says or else have mindfulness that there is a body and the mindfulness that there is a body is simply established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And thus one dwells independent, not clinging to anything in this world. So there's all of these instructions. Here's how to be mindful. And you can apply them. But my sense of it is once you've applied it and you can dwell in mindfulness and non-clinging and independence, you no longer have to rely on the, it's the analogy of the raft, you know, that one where it's like, you know, you use a raft when you're, you know, on the ocean or you're trying to cross the river, but once you cross the river, you don't have to carry the raft around. <laughs> you use the technique to establish 
awareness and non-clinging. And then once you've become non-attached, you don't have to carry the raft of the technique around. He says, just to the extent necessary for knowledge and mindfulness, then you can dwell independent, not clinging to anything in the world, which, you know, pretty high. <laughs> not clinging to anything in the world, both ourselves or each other or any views and opinions or, you know, so, but this is the goal. This is the, uh, and I think it's important. I don't know if anybody has that question, but it's important, like, well, why mindfulness? Why, why all of this effort into training the mind to be present in this way? And, uh, you know, the answer is because uh, suffering comes from clinging and mindfulness is the antidote to clinging. And so the more we do this, more we learn to let go and accept and allow and be with reality as it is rather than clinging to it or trying to control it. And therefore, mindfulness is the path to ending suffering. There's the statement at the beginning of the sutta, the teaching, where he says, this is the one-way path for the purification of beings, for the sur surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the passing away of pain and dejection, for the attainment of the true way, true way for the realization of, of Nibbana, namely these four foundations of mindfulness. So if you, if you sometimes forget, like, why are we practicing all this mindfulness? It's so that you can become an enlightened being that clings to nothing and has freedom from suffering. This is the whole, <laughs> it's the whole path. It's the whole goal. Okay. So before, I, before we meditate, I want to just share a little bit of this. It's about the body and the 32 parts of the body. Now, the way that this is translated for the monks, um, and I guess it's the traditional way, is um, that it's a contemplation, a reflection, a mindfulness of the unattractive nature of the body, unattractiveness of the body. And the monastics, the nuns and the monks, those who have taken a vow of celibacy, actually use this contemplation on the 32 parts of the body to help uh, as an antidote to lusting after bodies. Because, you know, we can, you know, we all have that desire, that craving, that lust, and that way that we objectify bodies and be like, oh, you're so sexy. But then you kind of, you know, th that body, that body is so sexy. But then if you've taken a vow of celibacy, you don't really want to be giving into that. So they're saying like, well, that sexy body is full of blood and pus and feces and all of these organs and spittle and, and you know, grease and you know, just trying to kind of gross yourself out a little bit so you're not so fucking horny all the time. Now that doesn't work for some of you because you're so kinky, you're like feces. I'm really into scatting, you know, like I'm, <laughs> the, the more disgusting, the better. So it doesn't work for everybody, but it is a traditional antidote to lust. Um, and so here's, a, you know, some part of what the Buddha says about it. He says, uh, here we review this body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair bounded by skin, full of many kinds of impurity. In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, 
nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestine, mesentery, stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Sexy, right? That's, that's, that's what you want to sleep with. Just as though, um, and, and this is just an interesting for us in, in the meditation, just to, as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends, full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, a man with a person with very good eyes were to open it and review it. This is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So too, in our meditation, we review this body up from the soles of the feet, down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin and full of so many kinds of impurities. Now, this is a traditional text. I will comment that, you know, I don't think it's necessary to put judgmental terms on the body like impurity. It's just a body. It's just a body filled with organs and the four elements and natural, you know, uh, processes and, and blood and, and feces and urine and all of that. So just natural stuff. So um, my own kind of view and commentary is I don't, I don't love the language like impurity or the, um, what, what were they calling it? The, um, the unattractiveness. I, I know, I see the point, you get the point, you know, if you've taken a vow of celibacy to try to turn yourself off from lusting after each other's bodies. But um, also, I don't know, maybe my own sort of romantic vision view, view is like bodies are beautiful. And uh, every part of the body is natural and, and beautiful and, and attractive and um, not impure, but just part of nature, just part of existence. So I have to, I do have to kind of say that because although this is what the monks say, it's not really how I teach or how I really relate to our human bodies. Okay, so we'll meditate and I'll go through some, I'll, I'll, I'll lead some reflections on these parts of the body during the meditation. And then I probably will, well, maybe we'll stick with the 32 parts. We'll see. I might open also to the corpse reflections. So finding a way to sit that's upright, relaxed, feels sustainable. Settle into the posture, make any adjustments necessary. And establish kind awareness, an intention to be friendly, accepting, patient, tolerant. To be friendly and loving towards your body, your heart, your mind. 
I'm spending a couple of minutes just to settle in, bringing mindfulness to the breath. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, feel the sensations the breath creates at the nostrils. Disengaging from the planning mind, the remembering mind, giving our full attention to the body sitting here, breathing. Mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of the body. We feel the sensations of the body sitting. And then this investigation of the parts of the body. That image the Buddha uses of a person with very good eyesight with this bag with a hole at both ends filled with different kinds of beans and rice. Bringing awareness, this is skin. Bringing awareness to the skin that you're in, your body. The skin that covers from head to toe. It covers the flesh, covers the bones, encases the organs. And scanning and investigating the skin for sensation. Investigate, bring awareness to the porous nature of the skin. This skin that is breathing. 
I think of breathing primarily with the lungs, with the nose, the mouth. But reflecting on how this bag is porous. This skin suit is breathable. And then bringing awareness to the hair that grows out of this skin, hair on your head. And scanning down from the top of your head for hair on your body, hair on your face. Some of us have more hair than others. Some of us have intentionally removed as much hair as possible from the body. But this body, this skin that grows hair to one extent or another on the arms, on the hands, on the fingers, even if it's just that little peach fuzzy hair. In the trunk of the body, the genitals, buttocks, back, the legs, and the feet. Mindfulness of this body that has skin and hair to one extent or another. And then bringing awareness to your hands and feet, to your fingernails and your toenails. This skin that becomes hardened. Nails, mindfulness, can you feel your Fingernails, can you feel your toenails? Bringing awareness to these parts of the body. Now bringing awareness to your teeth. These bones growing in our mouths. Perhaps even exploring your teeth mindfully with your tongue.
And there's this category, which is inclusive category of flesh, the flesh of the body. The face, the cheeks, the brow, the flesh of the face. The flesh of the neck, of the shoulders, the arms, the musculature. flesh of the legs, the hands and feet, the muscles covering the bones. Reflecting, bringing mindfulness, investigating. What on this list is called sinews, but it's the connective tissue, the ligaments, the joints. That allow us to move our limbs, to bend, to stretch, to move around, to walk, to sit. connective tissue holding this skeleton together creating movement And there's the bones themselves. Visualize your body as a skeleton. As though the skin and flesh have been removed. Your skull held up by the vertebrae connected to the ribs. Connected to the pelvis. the arms and legs sitting here with skeleton all of the bones hundreds of different bones in this human body And inside the bones, there is marrow, another aspect on the list. The Buddha says, bring mindfulness that there's bones here and that they're filled with marrow. They're not empty, hard shells, living cells inside the bones. 
The next section is organs. So bring mindfulness to your trunk of your body. Feel the rising and falling of the belly with each breath. And imagine, and if you can place in your body, your kidney. Your liver. Your spleen. Probably a bit easier to bring awareness to the heart and lungs. Feel your heart beating all by itself. Pumping blood through the veins and arteries, oxygenating the body. Feel the lungs as they breathe all by themselves. This cardiopulmonary system connection. Intestines, mesentery, stomach. Visualize your stomach connected to intestines. Small intestine, large intestine, bowels. Remember what you've eaten today that's in the body being digested. All of these organs doing their jobs, pulling out the nutrients, filtering the toxins. Creating feces, being aware that this body is creating feces in its process of digestion.
Buddha goes on to say, bring awareness to bile, phlegm, and pus. Fat, tears, grease, spittle, and snot. Oil of the joints, the fluids, the synovial fluids. And blood, sweat, and urine. Connected with this investigation of the 32 parts of the body, also the four elements. Mindfulness that this body is primarily fluid. More than three quarters of the body is the water element. We feel so solid, so earthy, but mostly we're water. You can continue to investigate the parts of the body. You can just return to an open awareness practice, present time awareness, that there is a body sitting, breathing, feeling, hopefully doing all of the functions appropriately, digesting, oxygenating.
It's said that all of the Dharma will be revealed right here in this body. In some ways that is pointing towards the more we pay attention to the body, the more we understand the impermanent nature. A constantly changing process unfolding in the body. Every breath comes and goes, the heart constantly beating. This process of aging taking place. Begin to wake up to the impersonal nature. We take these bodies to be who we are. The more we investigate, the more we see that they're autonomic, automatic, just unfolding. Heart beats all by itself, the lungs breathe, the mind thinks, the organs doing their job, the nervous system.
don't have a ton to say. Um, interested in some dialogue, some uh, conversation with you about this aspect of the mindfulness practice. I'll try to offer a few reflections before I open it up. Thinking about um, how my own experience with meditation was that the, the first relief that I found was in mindfulness, this first foundation, mindfulness of the body breathing, mindfulness of the breath. And it really felt like a refuge from um, my primary uh, experience of suffering, which was my mind. And so the body felt like, and, you know, interestingly enough, um, my body was not, when I, I learned how to meditate in jail, detoxing from drugs and alcohol, and I wasn't comfortable, I wasn't like happy in my body at all. But even with the uh, misery of detox and incarceration and uh, everything that I was going on, uh, going through, um, right away when I started meditating, I saw like, oh, this is better than what my mind is doing paying attention to my breath is a refuge, is a relief, is a, a momentary uh, uh, kind of freedom from all of the regret of the past and, and trauma and, and, and you know, suffering of the past and fear of all of the suffering that's to come, all of the worry and all of the, you know, anger and fear and all of the difficult emotions, which was mostly what I was suffering about. And when I just sat there and did mindfulness, try to pay attention to my body sitting and breathing, I got a little bit of relief from the suffering that my mind was creating. And I felt like, oh, the body is a refuge, even though the body's still craving and uncomfortable and all of that. It's so much better than my head, so much better. So part of, part of the way that I think about it, and I talk about it, most of you probably heard me talk about, like, uh, I kind of feel like part of the mindfulness instructions is the first task is break your addiction to your mind. And we break our addiction to our minds by really directing, learning to be mindful of the body in the body. And, you know, usually I do it in a sort of general way, feel your breath, feel your, and the Buddha's like, hey, 32 parts, investigate it. Really, like, what is here? Not just a body, but hair and skin and nails and teeth and, uh, you know, liver and spleen, <laughs> spittle and grease. <laughs> Some of you know anatomy and you know it's, oh, it's a pretty incomplete um, incomplete list of, of what's actually happening here in the body. But I don't know. I feel like for, uh, for 2,600 years ago, like I wasn't a doctor, like pretty good list of what's going on in the human body. Pretty good, you know, pretty thorough investigation for us to see all of the different parts, the bones, the flesh, the muscles, the
So in some ways, the first foundation and even this 32 parts and the mindfulness of the breath and the investigating of, oh, this, this body is really just the four elements and is giving us that relief. And we're kind of concentrating and in some ways it's allowing us to ignore the craving and aversion of the mind and the doubt and worry and resenting tendon, self-centered tendency uh, of our, our minds and can be quite a bit of relief. I don't know if that's your experience. And uh, a lot of people get stuck in the like breath practice. It becomes, you know, I, as a teacher, I meet people who sometimes have been meditating for decades and they're still just paying attention to their breath because they heard that instruction and it actually gives some relief. It allows you to ignore your mind, which, in, and it's, it's a, it's true, right? Like ignoring your mind is some relief, but it's not quite, it's an incomplete instruction. It's only an initial instruction. We don't want to get stuck in just this embodied, I'm, I'm aware of my body, body, and always ignoring our minds because, and we'll get there in the next couple of weeks, a few weeks maybe. Um, where then the Buddhist is like, yeah, totally know the body. And now know your emotions and know your mind and stop ignoring your mind. I feel like the other piece, I don't exactly know how I want to talk about it, but um, there's a shift that has happened for me and that I think is meant to happen in, in the practice from the body as a refuge. Because it really felt like that for me. I started practicing and I felt like mindfulness of the body is a refuge from the suffering of my mind. But then at some point, there's a shift that starts to say like, oh, but the body's not really a very reliable refuge. It's temp temporarily in the moment we can shift our attention there and not maybe be so involved in the causes of other causes of suffering, but the body is subject to sickness aging, death. It's not a long-term mindfulness of the body is not, you know, in this Buddhist teaching that says, you know, there's um, uh, a karmic momentum that continues beyond this body. And, you know, if you're too identified with your body or too attached to your body as who you are, uh, you're going to be quite confused when you die. If you haven't sort of, if, if you've thought, oh, this is the refuge, and then you die and you're Bit, you know, it's that sort of the dilemma of the materialist who thinks it's only this material world and it's only this material body. And so part of the investigation and the next one that we did a little bit last week, I didn't do tonight, but I'll do next week, the reflection on the body as a corpse. And that importance to break our identification with this body is who I am. It's part of who we are. It's a process that we're living out. And it's, you know, um, but like I was saying at the end of the meditation, those insights that you start to have of like this body, I'm not in control of this thing. I have some influence over it, you know, depending on if I eat well and how much I exercise and how much water I drink. And like, we definitely have some influence over our bodies. Before class, um, Lily and Brian and, we're talking and I was eavesdropping, but I was, you know, peanut gallering a little bit about um, both of their parents uh, currently have cancer. 
his father and her mother currently have cancer and we're talking about like um you know like you know how, how's the body get cancer or, you know there are some kind of questions going on around like um some investigation of it and then lily who's the healthiest of the three of us uh, said something like um one in three adults gets cancer now statistically something like that there was three of us talking and she's like it'd probably be me <laughs> right I was like no no it's definitely gonna be me i'm like not me <laughs> i was the one in denial they were the one for sure that they were gonna get cancer um and i think part, part of the reason why i bring that up is because the reality is yes we have influence i think we uh maybe there's a, a way to relate to the body as like it's our responsive it's not who we are but it's our responsibility it's our you know it's our vessel it's our you know it's how we get around it's how we relate to the world it's how we experience the world um and you know health and exercise and all of that is important and you can do everything right and it's not going to free you from sickness aging and death it can uh prolong right like it, you know really we can eat ourselves to death and early grave we can create all kinds of diseases based on our diets and lack of exercise and lack of right there's definitely things that but even you do everything right you know you drink all of the water and you eat all of the green vegetables and you do all of the exercising it's not going to stop this body from aging it's not going to stop this body from being subject to cancer or whatever disease you know this is one of the core teachings of the buddha um, this body is subject to sickness aging and death it is not a reliable refuge so does that make sense because i what i'm saying of like this shift like in the beginning it feels like oh what a refuge to be mindful of my breath but you don't want that to be your whole you know you don't want to cling to that as like well i because what happens when you stop breathing <laughs> right because eventually you're going to stop breathing and if you're like fuck what now i'm really confused because consciousness is continuing but there's no body to be attached to if that's the case i know some of you are like well there's it's lights out but i'm giving a buddhist talk so we'll just pretend like buddhism is true for now <laughs> We'll just pretend like there's a ongoing experience beyond the body and um, that these bodies are not a reliable long-term refuge. But in the meantime, here we are and they are our responsibility and they are um, I feel like it's so interesting because when we're when we turn inward not just to the physical body but to the emotions to the mind to this whole experience of being being human present time non-judgmental awareness shows us the causes of suffering it shows us like oh clinging right attachment that causes suffering aversion that causes suffering identification clinging to anything as a permanent self the body even consciousness getting too identified with any of it clinging to it clinging to views to opinions we see it you know you turn inward and you see like oh that's why i'm 
uneasy. That's why I'm unhappy. I'm attached. I'm craving. I'm aversive. It's all in here. The, you know, I said in the meditation, uh, the Buddha said, all of the Dharma will be revealed in this body. It's not some transcendent experience of, you know, going out into the heaven realms and, you know, it's a, an embodied, a descendant investigation and all of it will be revealed, the truth of impermanence. The truth of the causes of suffering are clinging and aversion and self-centeredness. I, me, mine causes suffering. And then also all of the antidotes to suffering are in this body. All of the Dharma. The, the Dharma is the truth of suffering and the cessation of suffering. So also the cessation of suffering is here in this body too non-attachment your body you learn to open you learn to soften you learn to accept you train your mind your heart to be kind to be compassionate to be loving that's all part of this body too that's not some download from the you know Toshida heaven buddhist realms that's already here compassion is part of your true nature it's in your heart it's in your being and what we're doing is we're uncovering it it's already here wisdom is already here we don't have much access to it without mindfulness without looking at the you know different kinds of rice and beans <laughs> body parts without investigating it but it's already here it's in this body it's in this you know this body that is experiencing the consciousness so i said i didn't have that much to say but i guess i did have some things to say i'll open it up we'll have some dialogue questions comments clarifications about any aspect of the 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 buddhist mindfulness teachings and if you want to go off topic that's okay too but interesting to continue to explore discussing the 32 parts and and even that piece of the first question of like what's your favorite part of your body what's your least favorite part of your body and uh, you know can you investigate that please is there any connection between this 32 parts of the body meditation and the body scan meditation probably from goenka's body scan or uh or uh, who else uses it um john cabot zinn body scan probably because of that instruction where you know at the beginning it says uh, down from the top of the hair to the soles of the feet so in the original teaching it's name all of these parts but then goenka said let's do that from the top of our head down for and scan for sensation right in the in the kind of vipassana goenka burmese style so he was taking part of that instruction saying like now just use it for sensation look for sensation he doesn't go into the body parts i don't think in the goenka technique um maybe he does but i don't think he does um and likewise with john cabot zinn i think that he kind of keeps it as present time awareness of sensation in the body scan so probably it's taken loosely from this sutta.
as part of the way to be mindful. And it's a great, it's a skillful means, body scan. Scan your attention. You know, what's here? What are you experiencing? Please. Last week you gave us some homework to, oh, um, yeah. to be mindful in the, when you woke up, what, what breath were you? Yeah. And uh, very difficult. But it was very difficult. Um, I think at first, second day, I still couldn't, you know, like, oh, where was I? But how many minutes after you woke up did you start reflecting on it? Within a couple. That's the point. Careful if you're a perfectionist and you're like, I can't do it. When I... The point is it tricks us into bringing awareness as soon as possible to our bodies in the morning. Probably, you know, very few of us are going to be like waking up on the in-breath. <laughs> but when you have that assignment and, you know, a couple minutes within waking, you're kind of like, oh, well, okay, I'm breathing. I'm here. I'm in my body. I don't need to get into my head worrying about my day or planning or here. Let me just be reclining meditation in bed, consciousness, sensation, awareness, breath. Now, let me try to take that as I get out of bed. Let me try to take that to brushing my teeth. Let me try to take that to drinking my coffee, to doing my meditation, whatever your morning routines are. Yeah, it's difficult. The one on line, Jerome, go ahead. Um, yeah, this, this was really helpful, this, I guess, body scan. Um, and my embarrassing or maybe not but my intro to mindfulness is through uh the waking up app which is basically just talking about breathing essentially what i'm getting at is like i specifically for me when i'm meditating i'm also noticing my posture and so i don't know if i'm getting distracted by my posture or if i'm bringing awareness to it distracted from what the breath well, the reason i bring up yeah the waking up app is because right. i was under the impression i should only focus on my breath now um that's sam harris's waking up that's his app yeah i think that probably the initial you know it's a good initial instruction mindfulness of the breath and um, you know, I don't know if Sam is saying like, hey, do that for the first six months, or I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with it, but it's a good initial instruction. Uh, but as you're learning tonight, and as we all learn eventually, is it's a um, it's just an initial instruction, and then it goes to like just be present in your whole body and, and investigate your whole body in all of the postures and in all of the activities. Learning to disengage from the thinking mind and be with the breath. And even learning to ignore the other parts of the body and concentrate on it's skillful it's limitedly skillful now i think sam i think it's probably one of the better apps out there for meditation and i know he has a whole bunch of real buddhist teachers that come and give instructions on there and um i think that if you keep digging deeper into the app that you'll find more and more instructions about mindfulness of the body about mindfulness of the mind 
um, and that you know he's just starting you with mindfulness of the breath. I'm pretty sure, right? He goes yeah, into yeah. the full four foundations, so goes, and yeah, it just builds and builds. It builds. And builds. It's, yeah, it's an incredible app. Yeah. So uh, somebody else here that uses the app says it'll just build. You know, Jerome, you're just in the initial one, and then it'll start giving you more and more in, encouragement and permission to expand from the breath. Okay, cool. But I think what I'm still I don't know if it feels like is this awareness or is this distraction or is it just what you know what I mean? All right, well here I'm going to really fuck you up right now. Damn. There's no such thing as distraction. Whatever your whatever's happening, it's happening right now. Even your thoughts about the future are happening right now. So especially feeling like other sensations in my body that are happening right now are distracting me. Now, the, in, and I should have said this, but in mindfulness, in true mindfulness, there's no such thing as a distraction. Because your practice is to be with what is, whatever is. When you've really expanded to mindfulness practice, it's inclusive of the six sense doors, of all of the sensations, of all of the emotions, of all of the mental activity, internally and externally. The cars are part of our practice. The annoying people are part of our practice. Social media, mindfulness. No such thing as a distraction when you're really being mindful. Now, Part of the reason it feels like a distraction to you, Jerome, is because you've been given the encouragement initially to concentrate on the breath. If you're trying to concentrate on one thing, then yeah, everything that takes your attention away from that one thing is a distraction. But the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness is teach on is, is not focus on one thing, it's focus on the present time experience. And in the present time experience, there's all kinds of sensations and emotions and thoughts and feelings and some are pleasant and some are unpleasant and some are neutral and it's inclusive you can't get distracted from mindfulness now you can get identified with your thoughts and lose mindfulness and be off in that planning mind you can get you know into a resentment and into the past or some reminiscing and lose mindfulness and then you're you know no longer but as long as you're here there's no such thing as distraction from here. It's all happening. Make sense? It's all fucking happening right now. So what's it distracting you from? It's happening right now. Maybe just our preferences. Oh, but I would rather be paying attention to this. Or I'd rather be paying attention to that. When your practice becomes inclusive of everything, then you can't be distracted from anything. Well, that, does that make sense enough? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Welcome. Glad you're here. Eric, please. Oh, I just wanted to not add, but so the key is just not to attach. Always. Okay. Don't cling to anything ever. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> One of my favorite, and this goes through my head a lot, is there's a, a teaching that says um, nothing is worth clinging to as I or me or mine. And seeing how often we're clinging to I, me, mine and suffering about it. 
And so, uh, you know, just kind of doing that, oh, like, what if I just let go of that delusion of ownership and that, you know, or control or let go? Nothing's worth clinging to. Now, my dad used to make a joke about that sort of non-attachment. So what did he say? He was like, um, oh, it was a Muslim, a Sufi a Sufi joke that said, um, trust Allah, but tie up your camel. <laughs> be non-attached, but also lock your fucking doors, okay? <laughs> Don't be so non-attached that you're irresponsible right don't be so non-attached that you're just like i don't know what happened like i just left a bag of money there and it disappeared it's weird please and then yeah um i think it's kind of piggybacking off of what jerome was talking about um like getting to the posture and you know, there's this talk of, of not being attached to anything, but there's also this instruction in the beginning of, you know, there's four proper ways in which to meditate. You know, there's the, the sitting, the standing, the, like, what's the fucking matter if I want to lie upside down on a beanbag and that's what's comfortable to me. Yeah. And that's what works for me. So why even have that instruction of there's four proper ways? Because it seems like it just prevent, you know, it just presents that distraction that, I feel like Jerome's talking about and, it. and maybe even a, uh, an attachment to form. Right. Yeah. Can be a, so the only, I don't really know the answer, but here's the one piece that I will say, and it might've just been the way you asked the, or, or stated it. You said, you, you, you said um, what's comfortable to you. And part of what we're trying to learn in these kind of four common human postures is how to be uncomfortable. And, you know, like the I'm obviously I provide chairs for everybody. I don't make people sit on the meditation cushion. Um, and there's pros and cons to sitting on the meditation cushion. One of the pros is that um, it, it'll be difficult and uncomfortable getting used to the sitting posture. And it's really useful to be uncomfortable because we're learning to change our relationship to discomfort and our craving for it to go away and our clinging to comfort. And so there is something to like taking forms that aren't comfortable and saying like, I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to walk slowly back and forth. I'm going to get out of my, some of my normal habitual beanbag backjack, whatever it is. And I'm going to sit with an ache in my back. I'm going to sit on these chairs that were really comfortable 10 years ago when we bought them. They're not that comfortable anymore. <laughs> right? I mean, we've been talking about like, fuck, we need new chairs. Those cushions are gone. But also it's important and, and useful to learn to be uncomfortable. Um, so I'm not a traditionalist in any way. And I kind of feel like make it your own present time awareness sitting, walking, standing, hanging upside down in your gravity boots, in your fucking hot, go ahead. You want a hot tub meditation, hot tub meditation, bring present time awareness to wherever, to wherever, 
but also learn how to be uncomfortable. If you're then going to take that permission to say, like, I'm only going to do comfortable things. I'm only going to I'm going to be on my waterbed in my hot tub and in my gravity boots or fucking, you know, memory foam, everything because I am so aversive to pain. That is not going to get you free from suffering. We have to learn to do practices that allow us to uh, increase our tolerance and therefore compassion for the inevitable and unavoidable reality of pain in life. And so sitting still is a good way to learn to be at ease within unpleasant sensations and, and thoughts and emotions. And it's one of the reasons why we don't play soothing music or we don't, you know, kind of manipulate the breath to be a certain way. And we just sit with what is, whatever your mind's up to, whatever your heart's up to, whatever your body's feeling, this isn't about getting comfortable. It's about getting free. And um, I think it's good to question these things. Personally, question them. I don't think I've questioned the four postures that much myself. I'm just kind of like, okay, let me try it. See how it works. Works pretty good. I'll keep doing that. And after the four postures, it says, also when you're taking a shit, be mindful. Also when you're taking a piss, be mindful. Also when you're eating food, be mindful of how it tastes and how it smells and when you're chewing and when you're swallowing, and when you're savoring. And, you know, there's a, a refrain here where the Buddha says, every activity of the body is an opportunity for mindfulness. But without a real training in the formal practice, I don't know how possible it is to really bring mindfulness without having sat. It's a, it's a training that happens in the sitting practice and the walking practice. And um, you have to intentionally do this sort of introspection mind training in order to then uh, uh, integrate it into the rest of our lives. I think that people say, oh, I don't meditate. I'm just mindful all the time. Mostly are fooling themselves. I think meditation is necessary, but I have a lot of biases about meditation. So... <laughs> I'm open to being wrong about that, but I think so. Um, body awareness was my path in meditation. It was really potent at the time. And I still think that it's one of the most powerful ways to pull me out of hot feelings. When I'm triggered and I'm in a situation where I want to respond uh, with anger or respond unskillfully, Feeling my limbs, feeling my breath, one of the quickest things that bring me out of my mind is to dismantle that, like that thought process, yeah, and get me into a more centered, stable place. Has the Dharma then um, helped you, you know, use that as a kind of stabilizing, but then also re bringing the awareness to the emotion and being able to sit with it and not just ignore it and avoid it? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe that's part of the difference because, you know, there's absolutely an invitation to like use your breath, use your body to ground, but also don't completely bypass your emotions. Then bring your mindfulness to your emotions, to the mind state, to the anger. Anger feels like this in my body. It's hot, right? Like, you know, I start sweating. I start, you know, my mind starts going fast. 
bringing mindfulness to the whole emotional process rather than just i'm just going to focus on my feet oh no i need to re you know come back up into it when it feels when it's settled a little bit let me come back into it and investigate so that it's not a, a an emotional bypass but it's an investigation i think that's where the kind of second and third you know the feeling tone and the mind states as the next instructions are so important and where we go beyond just mindfulness of the body anybody else got any thoughts questions comments please um just, just because it's been sort of in my own practice right now, I'm sort of jumping ahead towards the third foundation. Um, but just, uh, just about to, like where, what the hell, just because, you know, in the Sakya Patana and, uh, you know, in like the Anapanasati, you know, you come to the third foundation and the Anapanasati of the third group of the Chita and whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot about your your mental state. Like, is it contracted? Is it expanded? Is it tight? But I, there's not like, and it's not just you. Like, there are a lot of teachers talk about this mindfulness of the thoughts, and it's um, I don't know, like, where uh, does it come from? And like, and and what I don't know, just a little bit more about it because it's just it's not entirely clear uh, to me that that. I mean, maybe it's not really even part of the third foundation or the third group, but just that part of uh, mindfulness practice. I don't totally understand. You mean, are you looking for clarification about mindfulness of emotion? I don't totally understand the question. Um, you know, just when you have like your mind is thinking, that's part of your experience. And it's not, that part of experience is not really talked about much. The thinking mind, um, you don't think in the third foundation, I, I mean, I let's see what, what how they put it here. So we'll go a little a little sneak peek into what it says in. No, it's okay. <laughs> Contemplation of mind. One understands a mind with lust, a mind without lust, a mind with hatred, a mind without hatred, a mind with delusion, a mind without delusion. So they start by saying, you know, bring awareness to greed, hatred, delusion, lust, hatred, delusion, and, and look at your mind and being like, is this craving? Is this lusting? Is this, and how often is it, right? Or, uh, you know, like when you're fantasizing and just being like, oh, all of these fantasizing are fueled by desire, fueled by lust, are fueled by craving. Uh, and then watching the mind and seeing like, oh, sometimes our mind's quite tranquil and there's no lust, there's no hatred. There's no I, me, mine, clinging delusion. So that's, and you know, right? That's the core instruction. And it is a little bit general, but it's just saying like, are the three causes of suffering present or not present in your mind? Um, and then it's contracted, you know. Uh, ah, and I just talked all that shit about no such thing as distraction. But in this translation as the third foundation, it says one understands a contracted mind as contracted and a distracted mind as distracted. Now, I don't know, I wanna argue with them though. Like if you're mindful of your mind being distracted, are you distracted? Or are you just present with the mind is chaotic right now and 
you know, all over the place. Um, exalted mind is exalted, surpassable, unsurpassable, concentrated, liberated, all of those things. But I feel like it's those first three instructions that cover just about all of the emotions, you know, which are some form of, uh, you know, craving, I, me, you know, delusion, I, me, mine, craving, judgment, fear, worry, all of that is, you know, craving, aversion, self-centeredness in some way playing itself out in our mind. And that instruction, which is like, pay attention to that, know that that's what's happening and see that it's impermanent, see that it's impersonal and try not to be too identified with it, just what the mind does. I guess part of your question is, is there, a, is it a, a, you know, in other suttas other than the Satipatthana? I mean, yeah, I mean, like, Analia does a good job of going into, because when I first read the suttas, I'm like, but, what does that mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He does a good job of yeah. getting into that, but then the thoughts part, I still just wrote this probably but i don't i'm not familiar enough analia would be the you know like amro or analia or one of those guys that really knows the suttas would be able to be like yes you know 64.3 and and 57.2 or you know maybe even a google search of you know suttas referring to mind states would give you a, a big bigger yeah. Well, maybe we'll end there. Oh, Amy, last one. Go for it. Um, worth noting that that uh, monastery was impressively uncomfortable, and um, it uh, I really gained a lot of appreciation of sitting with discomfort from that practice itself. That's yeah, all. We get pretty spoiled with our um, comfortable cushions and chairs. And Amy was referring, she was on this trip, um, 30 of us from Against the Stream, 35 of us went to Thailand and visited some monasteries and did some retreat. But, you know, you go in and they're just like, okay, now come and sit on this marble floor for two hours. And, you, and we're just like, fuck, we can't do that. Like, we are really not good and kneeling and bowing and just like sitting on and we're like kind of scrounging cushions everywhere and being like you know is there any chairs and we're not good at sitting on the marble floors for two hours <laughs> you know so it's a good practice next week we'll go we'll continue with this and we'll go into the uh, i believe it's the corpse contemplation of a corpse next week. The nine charnel ground contemplations. To see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, devoured by crows, devoured by vultures, devoured by hawks, devoured by dogs, devoured by jackals devoured by all kinds of worms. One compares this same body, this body to our own body is of this same nature. It will be like that, is not exempt from that. You're going to get eaten by crows and worms. 
well, probably not, but maybe. <laughs> probably not, but maybe. So good to see everybody. See you next week. Class is done by donation. Please be as generous. Please think of the donation part of, of coming to, to our center as part of your practice. Um, don't think of it as a free meditation class. Think of it as a pay as much as you see fit to pay. You know, be as generous as you want to be, as you can be. Uh, if you really like what I'm doing here and what's happening at Against the Stream, uh, many of you already are. And, and if you're not, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Uh, of just supporting the center rather you know really buddhism and i'm trying trying to get out of the fee for service model and the capitalist i provide you and you pay me system and saying like it's just here it's freely offered i've been teaching this monday night class on this side of town for 18 years every monday i'm here and i'm here because people come and listen and donate and pay the rent on the center and support me as a teacher so uh, we kind of pay it forward to, you know, to the next group rather than I'm going to mediocre Dharma talk, seven bucks, really good Dharma talk, 20, but like get out of that whole system and just be like, I want to practice generosity. I want to practice support. I want to practice supporting the Dharma and having a place like this for people to come to. So be as generous as you can. And I think that's it. Couple of announcements. We have a weekend retreat in May. May, I think it's 12th through 14th or 10th through 12th. 10th through 12th. Uh, inner city retreat in Echo Park, Los Angeles. Uh, weekend residential retreat that's up for registration on the website. So join us. It's limited. I think we can only take 25 people. If you're planning to come for the weekend in May, register soon. It will sell out soon, probably. And I'm getting very close to having the India pilgrimage scheduled. And I'm going to take a group of, I don't know, maybe 30 people this year to India. And we're going to uh, spend some time in Bodh Gaya. And then we're going to go on a uh, Indian rail system uh, Buddhist pilgrimage train. And they, ha they have this sort of train pilgrimage set up where you have your own birth or you know, roommates or whatever on the birth on the train, and they, they take you to Saranath, and then they take you to, you know, all of these different Buddhist sites. And so we're going to do it so that we have a car or two to ourselves, and uh, we'll have a big group, and we'll have meditation, and we'll have Dharma talks, and we'll have travel adventure together uh, in India. Any of you have been to India, it's a fucking adventure. It's kind of gnarly, very interesting. So, um, I'm very, very close to getting that solidified and scheduled. Now, hopefully within the next month or so, I'll open registration for the November India trip. May any goodness that comes from our practice be gathered, shared with each other, shared outward in all directions, all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.